Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. The gang's all here for what should be a fun-filled, action-packed show where we talk about the paranormal as we do each and every Saturday night. And we're pretty excited for tonight's show because joining us a little bit later on will be Tyrone E. Keys Jr. He is the author of the new book, Quantum Dawn, and we're going to talk to him about some of these special abilities that people have that they can tap into. And Quantum Dawn is a fictional novel, but it's a way of kind of sharing some of Tyrone's beliefs uh, to the mass audience in, in a way that they can digest it. So we'll talk with him coming up in just a little bit. And in a few minutes here, we're going to be joined by Ken DaCosta of Rise Up Paranormal, and he's the organizer of the 2013 Ocean State Paracon, which is coming up next Saturday June 1st at the St. Anne's Arts and Cultural Center in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. Just real quickly, Moniz, before we get into that, you and I had a chance to go to the South Coast Twine Comic Show last week, and uh, that, was, that was a pretty fun time. That was an amazing time. I, I had a lot of fun there. Uh, I'm looking at some of the old toys that I used to have, and the prices that they were asking for things that were like parts of my childhood. Mm-hmm. You should probably turn that turn that off all right well why don't we get right into the discussion about next saturday's event the rhode island i'm sorry the ocean state paracon i was almost going to say the rhode island comic-con because we're so anxiously awaiting that but no it's the ocean state paracon coming up next saturday at the saint anne's arch and cultural center and joining us on the phone is ken DaCosta of rise up paranormal how are you ken very good. How are you guys doing tonight? Thanks for having me. Oh, we're spooktacular. Thanks for joining us. And and I know we've got you in the middle of an investigation tonight, right? <laughs> yeah, we've got a public event over here in Coventry at the uh, Nathaniel Green Homestead. But uh, we're over in the caretaker's house. It's kind of our safe house over here. So uh, I duck away. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you guys. Oh, and likewise. Of course, if we ever want to get you on on a Saturday night, you're usually in the middle of an investigation. You're a busy guy. Um, well, we kind of like it that way, but, uh, you know, you guys are big time. I'll always make an exception for that. <laughs> well, this event coming up next Saturday is going to be huge. I know last year was the first one, and I can't believe I missed the first one. I can't believe how many people came up to me over the course of the last 12 months and said, well, actually, no, it was in the fall last year, right? And uh, Yeah, it was actually, uh, we had ours in April. Uh, mid-April of last year. Okay. And uh, and people have been coming up to me saying, you know, where were you with that thing? Because uh, apparently everybody who's in the paranormal community in, in southern New England is at this event. Yeah. Well, you know something, guys? Um, when we decided to put this together, it's like anything else. You know, these things are a lot of work, which, uh, you know, anybody who's ever tried to put one together, you know uh, as well as I do. Um, and last year, we just sort of winged this thing. Um, we took the best of what we'd seen at other events and tried to incorporate that into what we're doing, and it far exceeded our expectations. It was exactly what we'd hoped it would be, but um, much more than, than we could have expected, and the support that we got was just uh, Tremendous. So, you know, it led to uh, what we're hoping is going to be uh, an annual event now. 
Um, and we, uh, we're rotating charities on this this year, of course. We're uh, doing it for the Muscular Dystrophy Association of Rhode Island, and the paranormal community as a whole really tends to jump on board with these things, and uh, this year is no exception. And that's the great thing about this is whenever you put out a cause there, it seems like the paranormal community are the first ones in line, uh, no matter what it may be. And I think that's because, you know, we depend so much on the charity of others for us to get our job done. You know, they have to let us into their homes, let us into their businesses, that I think that we almost feel obligated to have to give something back. But when you have a good cause like the MDA, I mean, people just naturally want to give. Absolutely. And, you know, we talk a lot about, uh, the legitimacy of our field, and one of the things that we try to do to encourage that is to uh, to go out and to help people, uh, maybe help them come to grips, or maybe get some closure or an understanding of some of the you know special events that they're having, these special experiences that are, are somewhat strange. But you know, help comes in many forms, and it's not just to uh, an individual, but to give back to the community like this um, is just another form of help, and I think everybody recognizes that. And you make a good point, you know, to give something back for what we're allowed to do, um, I think is very important, and it's something that uh, I had no question that this field as a whole would support, and um, we've been proven right, and uh, we're real proud of that. Well, you've got a heck of a lineup planned, uh, in addition to pretty much every paranormal group uh, w- within a 100-mile radius being represented here, and even some coming from further away, you have an excellent lineup of speakers taking place. No, we do, um, and some of them are, are very good friends of ours and have been for a long time, of course. Andy Lake is going to be there, and um, you know, I could think of no one better to talk about local legends than, than Andy and uh because we have enough beasts there, we needed some beauty as well. So uh, <laughs> Tiffany Rice and Stephanie Burke are, are going to do a gallery reading for us and kind of like uh, gussy us up a little bit. Um, but we've got um, Mike Markowitz, of course, EVP Mike, who's always he's just a fascinating guy. And he's going to talk a little bit about uh, the negative impact of uh, some investigations, which should prove interesting and uh of course, Carl and Keith Johnson, who are staples of this. Um, you know, uh, Carl's going to talk a little bit about the paranormal on television, which is something I actually requested with the, um, the boom in our pop culture now. I think that would be fascinating. And Keith's going to do a talk on vampires, the history of vampires. And, of course, we know what, uh, you know, we're kind of known for that in, the, in our area. So I think it will be really interesting for people and informative and entertaining and uh um, we'll have Joe Chen and Shannon Sylvia, of course, from um, from GHI, Ghost Hunters International. Um, and all these people are donating their time to this, which, you know, you can't put a price on that. And we are really appreciative of, of, of them giving their time and their efforts to uh, to support what we're trying to do here. And when you get everybody together like this, I mean, it's uh, of course there's always the the party atmosphere of you know everybody just getting together. People haven't seen each other in a long time, but you, you tend to find that uh, also new approaches and new theories come uh, just by having some conversations on the side. You know, two people sitting next to each other at a table uh, will start suddenly discussing uh, you know different approaches to investigations, and the next thing you know, uh, different styles and different approaches are seeping their way into the entire community. Sure, and you know something, guys, to get everybody under one roof like this um, and have people uh, 
actually put a face with a name, you know, because, you know, social media, you know, Facebook, the official social media of the paranormal field, uh, you know, but to have people actually sit down and be able to just uh, have a simple conversation or walk up and shake hands with somebody and just to, to bring everybody together for a day, um, that's a positive as well. Um, so there's that, and of course, you know, we try to make this a very laid-back thing. You know, there aren't any stars involved in this. You know, whether you're the biggest group or the biggest name in the world or the smallest group out there, you know, we try to put everybody on the same level with this thing. I mean, we've got the folks from TAPS coming down, et cetera, and so forth, but some smaller groups as well. So we really want this to be a laid-back kind of fun event where everybody can just, you know, metaphorically put their feet up on the table, not worry about, you know, impressing anybody and um, just coming together for a common cause. And uh, that's just another thing that we're real proud about this event and um, one of the reasons that we wanted to do it for this. And uh, it's worked out well and, um, you know, uh, very much looking forward to it again. And when you do uh, have such a great lineup as this, you know, naturally people want to come and, and hear some of these people speak. And the important thing about these types of events is not only can you hear them speak, but you get a chance to talk to them one-on-one, kind of pick their brain a little bit too. And I think that that's something that people, you know, they might want to go there because they want to, uh, you know, talk to Keith and Carl Johnson, who they've seen on television, or Joe Chin, or, or Shannon Sylvia, who they've seen on TV. But then, you know, they end up talking to all these other groups uh, along the way, and they realize, gee, there's more to it than just what we see on TV. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the best part about these folks is that although they've had some experiences that some of us, you know, may never have a chance to uh, to experience in our own lives, you know, they've, they've traveled so many places. And, uh, you know, to get kind of like the inside scoop and, you know, some of the stories that they'll tell about filming these episodes and, you know, some of the adventures and the misadventures of all the things that have happened to them and everything... Um, I think it's really interesting for people to be able to make that connection, you know, rather than see, you know, someone on TV, see, um, you know, somebody in the flesh. In fact, Joe Chen left us <laughs> here about 10 minutes ago. Uh, he and his sister Chris just drove up from Smithfield. They knew we were here. They just popped in to say hello. And, you know, um, it's good that, you know, people get to see that. You know that um, you know they're 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 very very well grounded folks. They're down to earth. Um, they just had a, a wonderful chance to do something, but uh, they're extremely approachable, and this is a great venue for them to do that. So uh, it's taking place next Saturday at the St. Anne's Arts and Cultural Center in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. What time does it kick off? Well, we're going to kick everything off, uh, Tim, at noontime. We're going to go to seven o'clock. Uh, the speakers are going to start at 1 p.m., and they're going to go for 45 minutes until 6 o'clock when we're going to bring everyone together for a paranormal roundtable discussion, which is really a highlight of the day. Over the course of the day, we're going to be soliciting questions from everybody who attends, and at the end of it, uh, we'll get everyone on stage, and uh, they'll have a chance to answer the questions that are put forth by um, by, uh, by our guests. Wow. during the course of the day. And uh, general admission is at the door for 5 bucks. I mean, for $5, you can come down and meet some of the best and brightest of the field in, in, in the entire Northeast. We've got people coming from Maine, New Jersey, New York, and uh, 
for $5, come down, have a great time, and at the same time, support a great cause. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Ken. We look forward to seeing you down there next Saturday. Well, I hope I'm going to see you guys because I definitely want SSC to be a part of this uh, as we move forward. Hopefully our schedules align. I can get you guys down there because it's not quite uh, an Ocean State Paracon uh, without you guys being a prominent part of it. So I'm going to kind of hold you to that. We'll be there, Dave. We'll be there. Okay, thank you, Matt. <laughs> All right, well, uh, and of course, uh, some Saturday night, you know, when you've got some free time, who who knows when that might be, but we'd love to have you come in here, do a whole show with us. It would be my pleasure anytime, fellas. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk a little bit about the event, and uh, hope to see you again real soon. All right, take care. Okay, good night, fellas. Good night. That is Ken DaCosta of Rise Up Paranormal, and you can check him out as well as all the other great speakers and guests at the 2013 Ocean State Paracon that's coming up next Saturday, June 1st, beginning at noon at St. Anne's Arts and Cultural Center in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. Only $5. You can't go wrong. Where can you get a whole day's worth of entertainment for $5 these days? Nowhere. You certainly can't get it hanging out with us. But uh, check it out and, and go see all the great speakers there and talk to Ken, who is one of the best minds in the paranormal. He downplays himself quite a bit. But, you know, if you follow Ken and, and you're friends with him on Facebook and you see some of his different postings and some of his different thoughts, this is a guy who, who gets it. And this is a guy who doesn't really have a problem calling out some of the BS in the field either. So, And I can only imagine how great some of those discussions are going to be there. Um, uh, Matt, we did have a chance at the, uh, at the South Coast Hawaiian Comic Show last week. Uh, we started off with a paranormal discussion with Brian Harnwa and Tom D'Agostino. Yep. And we kind of got really inside there a little bit. We, you know, we started really picking <laughs> Brian's brain about, you know, inside the world of Ghost Hunters and Ghost Hunters International. And uh, we had a few people in the crowd that were fans of those programs. And we had a few people that were, you know, c- completely new to the idea of the paranormal. And I think it turned out to be a pretty interesting discussion. So that, you know, times a thousand is what will be happening this Saturday, I'm sure. Well, the Toy and Comic Show was a, a, a great little venue. You had a, a bunch of great people there. And I, I think you're right. When when the audience started asking those in-depth questions, that's that's one of those little little things that you, you don't normally get to see because, I mean, they're right there for you right. to ask. And, you know, it's one thing when you're sitting with them on the radio, the chance of calling through and actually making it through or – or stuff like this, but this was an opportunity for them to actually pose their questions to them, and it was kind of interesting to watch them respond. And it was crazy, uh, you know. Gil Gerard, I think, was the highlight of the day. Buck Rogers himself, and as soon as he took the the podium, <laughs> the questions were already coming, and they were already like deep, deep questions about Buck Rogers right away. And my favorite was the guy who went off on like a whole telling a whole story. Uh, trying to ask a question. He was basically telling a story, and then Gil looks at him and he goes, well, you just told the whole story. I don't have to tell you any of that. But his discussion went from Buck Rogers to Benghazi, you know, and it touched upon you know the FCC, the state of network television today. It was just a great discussion. And then uh, one of the highlights of the day for me was Mike Quinn, who has worked with the Muppets. Yeah. Uh, he's worked with Jim Henson. He's been in Star Wars and Return of the Jedi. He's worked with George Lucas. So just hearing some of his inside stories. And... I only found out after the fact, and Moniz, you probably might have had a chance to talk to him a little bit more than I did because I was running around running all the Q&As, but Mike Quinn is also a paranormal investigator. I didn't get a chance to actually yeah. talk to Mike. I got enough time to say hello. 
and that well, was about it. <laughs> he, he investigates the paranormal down in Texas, so we're going to have him on the show sometime uh, in the future to talk about his experiences, both working with the Muppets, working in Star Wars, and his work as a paranormal investigator. So it should be a, a great time when we have him on you know, sometime in the coming months. We've got definitely a packed schedule coming up uh, over the next few months. We've got Nick Redfern's going to be coming back. Um, actually, we've never actually had Nick Redfern live. The only time we've ever had him on was a pre-recorded podcast. Is he going to talk about Man Monkey? Uh, I believe I for, forget the title, the exact title of the new book, but it is about monsters. Okay, so it should be a, a great talk with him, and so much stuff coming up. Uh, we're going to have in July. We're going to have a live simulcast with Resurrection Radio, which is an internet-based radio show. But we're going to have a four-hour discussion between that show and this show, where we're going to kind of crossover we're going to be on Lara's show uh, at the beginning Lara Calhoun we'll be on her show for the first two hours and then we'll segue that into Spooky South Coast from 10 to midnight and we're going to be talking about at least on the Spooky South Coast portion of the program about the need to have PR people in the paranormal the need to have a, an agent if you're a paranormal investigator because we live in a different world now it's not like when you first started Moni's when you could just you know grab your gear and go out and investigate these places and then write down your findings and share them with other like-minded individuals. You know, now you've got to film pilots and, you know, make appearances and get newspaper coverage and all that kind of stuff. Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. And I really, really want to get into the topic of what happened uh, this week. There was a report about a paranormal investigator that aired on WBZ News. And I really want to get into that a little bit. Uh, but maybe we'll have some time at the end of the program here. But we have coming up in just a little while Tyrone E. Keys. He is the author of Quantum Dawn, and uh, he is going to be talking with us about that book, which is uh, the first of a series. And we'll talk about some of his uh, ideas and theories that he puts forth through the use of this fictional book. So we will talk with Tyrone coming up in just a few minutes. If you have any thoughts or questions during the course of the show, you can email us, spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com. Hit us up in the chat room on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. Find us on Twitter at SpookySC. And then, of course, the good old-fashioned way. Call in 508-996-0500-1877-996-1420. We will be right back with more in just a few minutes here on Spooky South. Hello. Hey, man. You up? No. Wake up, I need to talk to you. Hey, come on, it's two thirty in the morning. I can't sleep in here, man. I'm scared. All right, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with the science advisor Matt Moniz and the silent assassin Matt Costa. And now joining us is our guest tonight, Tyrone E. Keys Jr., characterized as one of the solid thinkers by National Public Radio's Mark Steiner. Tyrone E. Keys Jr.'s love for writing knows no bounds. From new plateaus in science fiction to thought-provoking political topics, all designed to push the boundaries of what we believe is possible. Uh, with a genuine interest for the precious gift of life, Tyrone E. Keys Jr. enjoys skydiving, boxing, and hiking. Well, that's... That's some pretty cool stuff right there. In addition to being a former elected official in Maryland, he is a sought-after political pundit, appearing regularly on national public radio and ABC television. He is a decorated firefighter EMT with the Liberty Road Volunteer Fire Company of Baltimore County, and he joins us now to talk about his first book, uh, Quantum Dawn. Good evening, Tyrone. How are you doing? How's it going? I'm 
doing well, guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're glad to have you. We're uh, very excited to talk to you about some of the uh, theories that you talk about here in the book uh, through the use of fiction. And uh, what I mean, it must be pretty daunting to go from the, the career that you've had as being a firefighter and elected official to all of a sudden undertaking being an author. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I believe that, you know, interestingly enough, there are two things that I've found in life that uh, affect all of us, whether we like it or not. One of those things is politics. The other is physics. Uh, so this is kind of a, a combination of my love for, you know, both of those areas. But also it gave me an opportunity to kind of condense into something that I believe to be entertaining and fun, uh, some subjects that uh, are really taking hold in mainstream science and philosophy today. Well, I, I suppose, though, if you're going to start putting some of that into writing, uh, fiction is probably a good gateway to get people thinking about these ideas. If you come at it from a nonfiction point of view, it, it sometimes seems like a lot for people to wrap their heads around. But when you can put it into a great story, as you've done with this book, it makes things a lot more palpable. Absolutely, I agree. I, um, I I've made my way through, you know, some of the works of Brian Greene, uh, the professor from uh, Columbia, uh, Professor uh, Kaku, his works as well. And you're right. I mean, that's I'm not a physicist by by trade, so I've had to reread and reread in order to gain an understanding. But again, um, some of these ideas that are are, are meshing philosophy and 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 physics. Uh, in particular, one of the things we focus on in the book is the many-world theories of uh, alternate universes. And the series, now this first book doesn't uh, go into a lot of what we will eventually get into, but the series will kind of, you know, suggest, hey, maybe a lot of what we uh, think of as unexplained right now can be explained if we look at it from a, an alternate universe or many-worlds type of uh, scenario. Um, I mean, how do you do that, though, as being an amateur physicist, as you said? You know, how do you start to put all that together? Because, you know, I've been reading about the multiverse for a number of years, and e even I can't really understand uh, fully the concepts of it as much as we've talked about it here on the show and I've read, you know, different guest books about it. Uh, to me, it just seems like when you talk about infinite possibilities, it really just seems that way. Well, absolutely. And, you know, uh, Seth Lloyd, he uh, is one of the pioneers of quantum computing. Uh, and he's up at MIT, and he, he said that anyone who claims to be an expert in any of this quantum physics, no matter how many degrees they have, they're, they're not being truthful because no one quite understands it. So I think that, you know, people like ourselves, laymen, so to speak, we have a, a bit of an advantage because we can come at the subject with a lot more imagination and a lot uh, less rigidity than the scientific community uh, might approach it with. That's true. If we can kind of take ourselves out of the need to prove and just, uh, you know, explore it theoretically in our minds through, uh, you know, through a compelling story, it probably makes it a lot easier to digest when, when you don't have to have the hard data behind it. Exactly, exactly. And I think one of the most interesting things uh, with regard to the book, and I think one of the things that people so far have really, you know, been like, wow, is the fact that uh, the way we traverse uh, realities in the book is uh, something that we all experience uh, and something that uh, readers have been finding a, a very you know, unique idea uh, and, and kind of taking it places that I 
you know, I, I didn't even think of. So I think that, you know, when you talk about infinite possibilities and you look at some of the real-world experimentation that's been done, I think that, you know, it, it's, it's, it's pretty much proven that this is, this is what's going on out there. Well, as an author, though, I think sci-fi is probably the hardest genre to, to step into because it's not like writing, you know, normal fiction or, or you know, regular commonplace fiction, uh, thrillers, drama, whatever have you. Uh, when you're starting to write sci-fi, you have to basically create your own universe from scratch. So not only have you done that, you've had to create multiple universes pretty much from scratch. Right. And that has been a challenge because uh, it's been a challenge, but it's been an advantage as well because... Again, when you deal with infinity, you can go anywhere with it, but then it becomes a matter of, you know, keeping track of what you've created. Uh, so, for example, um, the, the way that history unfolds in one of the universes in the, uh, in the, in the book uh, is in such a way that uh, President Reagan uh, was uh, not, he, he, he did not win re-election, and so the timeline unfolds a lot differently, and there's a conversation being held with the new president and making him privy to, you know, everything that's really going on in the universe. And at the end of that, you know, section, you learn that the new president is uh, President Bush, but it's actually uh, Josiah Bush or, or Jeb Bush, as uh, most people might be familiar with. So we, we get to play, a lot, play around with a lot of real-world history that people are familiar with, but changing it up in ways that you know actually may have occurred and definitely have occurred if you look at it from an infinite standpoint. Right, and that is the the key point of the whole multiverse theory is that pretty much any variation of anything happening is happening. Exactly, exactly. And so we even go, you know, far out into, you know, the the possibilities and look at things that uh, that we have no, we don't necessarily have a concept of in terms of our world. Uh, the other unique thing we do, a lot of what you have seen, and what I've seen thus far in the alternate universe genre is, uh, you know, if I go to a different universe, I'm still me. I look like me. I sound like me. I've got some different personality traits. But we take infinity uh, seriously in the book, and, and the way I look at it is, hey, you know, you could be a totally, your alternate could be a totally different different uh, creature altogether. So um, when you talk about an infinite number of uh, yous or me's, uh, that really can mean anything. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to, you know, uh, walk and talk like, you know, you, you or I might be, you know, accustomed to. But, but then how does it maintain its... Uh connection to us then if it's if it can be so vastly different and uh the way the way that i look at that is if you uh, look at the brain the limbic system is uh something that controls our dreams for example so uh we take the position in the book that every alternate is connected via the limbic system so there's a frequency by which uh, you share with all of your alternates uh, no matter where they are in the multiverse, no matter how many of them there are, you share a frequency. And if you share that frequency, that is the definition of your alternate. So uh, that that's what differentiates your alternate from my alternate, is if, if you share this limbic frequency. 
So that's how we explain that. And, and in the book, you d- describe these dreams as being not um, the random firing off of our subconscious and, and, and different thoughts that are kind of put together in a chaotic way. You see them as being glimpses into these other realities and into these other versions of ourselves. Linda exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that's, that's basically uh, – that's one of the major parts of, of this universe that I've created is that uh, when you fall asleep and uh, what a dream is, is not your, it's not a download of your day, a subconscious download of your day. You're just uh, cobbling together memories of the day. Uh, that's not it at all. Uh, the book suggests that your dreams are actually uh, you experiencing the life of one of your alternates in a totally different universe. So whatever you dreamed about last night, if you were climbing up a mountain or you know, but swimming through a river, you were actually uh, getting a glimpse of uh, the life of one of your alternates. Now, there are individuals in the book that can take this ability and they can move it a step further and they can actually control the duration of the dream and they can control, uh, they can basically assume control of uh, their alternate via the dream. So that is how you know, beings can traverse these various, uh, these various, these various realities. And that would work likewise, too, then, that those other beings could do the same to you. Absolutely, absolutely. And the, the way I've mixed politics with it is that there is a vast government that controls this secret. So uh, this is, you know, obviously not known. Most, most beings, uh, the multiverse over, think that their dreams are just, subconscious manifestations when in fact they are transportation to another reality. Uh, so it's a tightly held secret among, you know, a group in the hierarchy of a multi-realistic government. So then is your theory also applicable to the real world outside of the book too? Do you feel that our dreams as, as human beings living in this plane of existence are the same thing? Are they, are they glimpses into uh, another reality for us? I, think, I honestly think they could be. Now, you know, I don't have a shred of empirical evidence to back that up, but uh, I think that you know, any neuroscientist would tell you that they don't really know what dreams are either. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one guess is as good as any other. Um, but I think that if, if I, I don't think they're you know, just manifestations of your memory because we've all had experiences where we've dreamt about something that we've never experienced. Uh, so they have to be, you know, more than that. And how many times have we had prescient dreams, too, where we we dreamed of something that we would only come to find out or see or experience later? Exactly, exactly. So there's a lot uh, with dream science that, you know, we can't explain. Uh, with, with science in general, um, I, I take the approach that, you know, we, we feel as though as a society we're so technologically advanced, it, it gives us an arrogance uh, and you know, we forget about the fact that at one point our top scientists believed that, you know, everything orbited the sun. We forget about, you know, the fact that even further back, top scientists believed everything orbited the Earth. So, you know, I, I, I'm really cautious about saying, oh, we're at a point where we can definitively state anything. But it's important, uh, in the book at least, it's important to have some sort of a, a, a constant 
throughout these different planes of existence, and you've created a world that that serves that purpose in Cardinal. And what just what kind of uh, process did you go through in creating the, this world that's so centric to to the universe you write about? Well, I wanted to look at the, the way I did it was I wanted to look at what we are familiar with in terms of government, and there's you know especially today there's a lot of debate as to uh, whether or not certain things should be kept from the citizenry and uh, what things constitute national security. Uh, are there, are there uh, mechanisms in place that are uh, hyping things up beyond their reality in order for a, a darker purpose? I wanted to take all of those things, all of those elements, and create this fictional government in, in the book Quantum Dawn, and I think I've done a, a, a fairly good job of that. Now, Cardinal is the capital of this multi-realistic government, uh, and everything that happens pretty much happens uh, at Cardinal. And I say at Cardinal because we've done some creative things. It's not your normal planet or anything like that. And if you go to uh, realityneversleeps.com, you can get a lot of backstory and find out a lot more about Cardinal in particular. Uh, so that's what that's the type of uh, process I went through in order to create uh, this government, which is called the United Plains of the Multiverse, uh, in, with Cardinal as their capital. Well, we are talking with our guest Tyrone E. Keys Jr. He's the author of Quantum Dawn. If you have any questions, five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. But you did mention, Tyrone, that this is going to be the first in a series. How many books are you predicting, uh, or can you not even predict yet where the story will go? Yeah, I really can't predict uh, where it'll go. I've uh, I'm about seventy five percent done with the sec the uh, draft of the second uh, the follow up book, which is. Uh, going to be released later this year, entitled Quantum Rain, uh, and that will basically continue a lot of what we started, but it will also inject more questions uh, as to what is the nature of our reality. You know, what is, uh, what are we, kind of what are we supposed to be doing, you know, while we're here? It's obviously much more than, you know, watching the latest episode of some reality television show. Uh, so it poses those questions, and it it tries to follow up in, in what I see as a trend that's been developing in sci-fi, which is to inject a lot more intellectualism into it. You saw that with films like uh, The First Matrix and uh, even with Inception uh, and Looper. I think Looper was, you know, uh, in in that vein as well. So we're, we're doing those things to kind of get people to, to open up their minds and, and think consciously and also to appeal to that slice of the sci-fi genre that is is like hey you know we we want some some intelligent sci-fi out there well and that's the key to this whole multiverse idea too is because you know for years we had just as an example you had your star wars versus star trek people where you know you could only be one or the other because the reality right. could only be one or the other and we could only have you know what's what's our trajectory is it going to be like what buck rogers was like is it going to be like what Battlestar Galactica is like, what's going to be the future? And, and now with the multiverse, they're all possible. They're all probable. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I would encourage uh, all the listeners to uh, – I'm not going to try to explain it because it, it's done better on YouTube. But just go onto YouTube and just look up what's called the double slit experiment. And this is an experiment that has been done uh, to death, really. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an actual experiment conducted by – 
you know, credentialed physicists, that it, it actually proves that we live in a universe of infinite possibility. And uh, I think it's very interesting. It has a lot of philosophical uh, implications to it. And I think your audience would really, really uh, get a lot out of, out of that. Well, I wish I lived in the uh, universe where I won the $600 million Powerball jackpot. But Well... That makes two of us. <laughs> <laughs> but somewhere out there, man, our doubles are enjoying it. Right, right, exactly. Well, I look at things this way. So I'm not responsible for all the bad choices I made. It was the alternate that was dreaming that made me do what I did. Hey, I, could, you know, I could see plenty of uh, criminals looking to uh, use that as a <laughs> cop-out in, in their pleas and stuff like that. I mean... I don't know if it would work, but... No, but I'm saying it's just one of those, you know, flies well, in the ointment. That's actually a great point you raised because uh, there are other uh, theories out there that uh, suppose that the universe is a hologram and everything that is occurring is predestined. And it's you know already been projected far out somewhere in the universe, and we're just you know following along as prescribed. So that would kind of play into that. You know, hey, I, I couldn't help myself because it was already predestined. Uh, now I'm not sure how well it worked in a court of law, but uh, it, it's it's a great thought exercise at least. Well, I, one of the important things to note while we're talking about the place of uh, justice uh, in terms of this theory is uh, the, the book is about a team that has to regulate this multiverse and it seems like as we've gotten more advanced in our theory in our sci-fi such as you know movies like Time Cop, and things like that. We have to have Minority Report, you know, these type of films. We have to have uh, somebody to regulate them because the ideas that we have are so um, so easily manipulated for people to take advantage of, such as what Moniz just suggested. So you've created a team whose job it is to safeguard, you know, the, the fact that there are multiple universes. Right, and what I wanted to, one of the things I wanted to do with that was to kind of create kind of a dichotomy to say, hey, look, on the one hand, I see where these guys are coming from. They have to protect the secret. Otherwise, you know, you'd have complete chaos. Uh, on the other hand, who are they to inhibit a natural ability uh, and keep this type of uh, information from the people? So kind of, again, the same types of uh, situations or questions you have being asked today in the real world. Uh, in our world, about um, things concerning terrorism, uh, different uh, rights that we as Americans have. It's almost like the the more we see the dark underside of our world in the recent weeks with all these things that have happened uh, in the news, we'd like to think that there is another reality out there where things are a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think everybody would agree with you on that. And and then there's also um, you know you look at you mentioned Star Trek earlier, uh, you look at futures like that and you say, hey, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could all just uh, be of one mind right. in terms of bettering the species, exploring our universe, that sort of thing. And then you kind of get down because you're like, oh, wow, we're, we're pretty far away from that once you watch, you know, the evening news. Well, dy dystopian uh, sci-fi seems to be more... Uh, acceptable and believable to people, I think, <laughs> than utopian. Uh, I was watching Blade Runner this week, and I was thinking about how Blade Runner is very similar uh, to the opening of Quantum Dawn in terms of, you know, just the, the bleak uh, reality for the people that live in it. 
And but then at the same time, I'm watching Blade Runner, and all I'm seeing is neon signs for corporations that don't exist anymore, and you yeah. know, pe- people smoking in office buildings, and <laughs> and I realize, you know, the future is as much as we like to think that we have a grasp on what it might look like, you know, it's not written in stone. So even if dystopian society does seem to be, you know, what we might feel it will turn into, we by being aware of that, we keep it from becoming so. Yeah, I, I think that's the hope. I think that's a, a lot of that is is absolutely true, and then you know. Again, if we could predict the future, we certainly would. Uh, we'd be having this conversation from our Learjets because we would have won that yeah. that uh, jackpot. But uh, if I look at my, you know, if I remember back to my textbooks from from elementary school, we were all supposed to be getting around on moving sidewalks and uh, you know dressing in one piece jumpsuits <laughs> by right. this point. You know, so it's it's it always ends up being a lot different. Uh, than you think. And again, we get to play around with ideas like that in Quantum Dawn uh, to say, hey, look how this uh, one thing may have changed and it just adjusted the everything after that. This one minor thing affected uh, all of these major things across the board and made this universe totally indistinguishable from uh, you know, what you might, what, what we're used to. I'll give you one example. Um, we play around with the uh, the asteroid that uh, or the meteor that that hit the, the Chicks- that created the Chicxulub crater and that supposedly destroyed the, the uh, dinosaurs or took them to extinction. And so we play around with that idea and we say, hey, let's suppose it missed by you know just a, a hair's breadth. And so the dinosaurs they never they, they never became extinct. And the mammals never got a chance to gain a foothold. So in one of our universes, uh, the dinosaurs, who had already been around for millions, tens of millions of years, they uh, developed, they became intelligent, and now they are uh, a group of spacefaring beings, all because of that, you know, difference in... Uh, whether or not that asteroid hit, and then they are involved heavily involved in uh in quantum rain the the second book well, it does seem like uh when you can change history like that uh, in any way possible you, you not only become uh, kind of the the tinkerer and the creator of what happens afterwards, but you kind of have to have uh, some sort of moral responsibility to staying true to what was happening before the event. So it's not just a matter of, hey, you know, just as an example, JFK was never killed. It's now what is the result of him not being killed and how does that impact the things going forward? And it's not always it's not always for the better. Absolutely. Right. Right. Um, we saw a little bit of that kind of thinking in um, another movie you mentioned. Uh, the what the, I thought you mentioned it earlier, The Watchmen. You, you saw kind of how the political situation was a little different there and. And it definitely did not come out for the better uh, in that instance. But in Quantum Dawn, um, we don't spend a lot of time on our particular uh, universe, but at the same time, it's very difficult, and this is intentional, it's very difficult for the reader to say, oh, that's my universe. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's where we call reality. Uh, you never really know, and that's by design because, Again, we want to just keep everybody focused on infinite possibilities. Right, and and if that's the idea, then you know the more familiar it becomes, kind of the harder it becomes to let your mind wander to what could be. Absolutely, 
Absolutely. All right. Well, we are going to take a break here coming up for the news. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk more with our guest Tyrone E. Keys Jr. on the other side, more about his book Quantum Dawn, more about the idea of multiple universes and alternate realities. We'll also take your calls, 508-996-0500-1877-996-1420. But before we go to the news, just want to let everybody know out there that we still have some tickets available for our upcoming Legend Trips event. It's happening June 22nd at the Fort Tabor, Fort Rodman Park there in, here in New Bedford. And tickets are just $99. And for that, you will get lectures. You will get not lectures like, you know, we're going to, you know, tell you off. Like, darn you, Moniz. But you're going to get discussions uh, with myself, Jeff Belanger, Matt Moniz, Andrew Lake. Hopefully Matt Koss is coming. Uh, and it's going to be uh, just a couple hours of great discussions, then dinner, and then five or more hours of guided investigation throughout the entire Fort Tabor, Fort Rodman Park. Uh, you get into all the places that you can't get into the rest of the year. You get into the fort itself. You get into the Millican Battery, which is one of the most haunted places I've ever been in. You get into the little smaller batteries. You get to spend time in the military museum investigating in there. So really... You have all access to the grounds, and you get to check out just some places that people don't get to go into normally. And uh, all the proceeds go to uh, a good cause. So we donate a portion of every ticket sales right back into Fort Rodman, Fort Tabor, to help them maintain and restore that historic property. So check out our website, legendtrips.com, legendtrips with an S.com, to purchase your tickets. They're only $99. Get them while they last. And uh, we also have some room deals coming up, and those you're going to have to get while they last. All right, well, that does it for the first hour of the show. We'll be right back after the news here on Spooky South Coast. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does AM fourteen twenty. WBSM presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Welcome to Health Talk, a program on health, medicine, and nutrition featuring... So much for that being all set. Welcome back to Spooky South Ghost. Tim Weisberg here. See what happens when I'm not on Saturday mornings now? I get yeah, rusty. You're all thrown off. Yes. I don't have the same, um, you know, dexterity and, yeah. you know, quick reflexes, cat-like reflexes that I have when I've already worked a shift here on Saturday mornings. But don't worry, folks. I'll be back next Saturday morning. There was just a little bit of a paperwork hang-up with corporate, you know? Uh, you know, when, when, <laughs> when you're hiring a biggest star as me, you know, <laughs> there's all kinds of rights and clearances that have to go through. Is there anybody interesting coming up? On, for on, your Saturday on morning Saturday show? morning? No, actually, no, no, no. Just I keep uh, a bunch loose. of boring people. Just, yeah, no, just I keep, boring people yeah, it's all boring. People. <laughs> Myself uh, leading the pack. No, I like to keep it loose. Is is what we do? Uh, we, we we try and sell it as being you know like Saturday mornings when you were a kid, relaxed, laid back, grab your bowl of cereal, keep your pajamas on. That's what I do, and that's I just curl up. And, and so then I figured today, yeah. since I didn't have to wake up. I would sleep in a little bit and then wake up and kind of just do whatever I wanted to do and and have one of those lazy Saturday mornings and figured I'd watch some cartoons and nope, no cartoons, nothing. What on. anymore? Like no, on no no Saturday morning cartoons. Not like in the old days. Oh, do they still so. have Candlepin Bowling? 
Uh, or is that on Sundays? I'm not sure anymore if they still have that. Bob Gamir <laughs> ran into some legal trouble. Uh, I don't know if you heard about that. No. Oh, he was no. a diddler. Oh. <laughs> right. So he is not, no longer hosting Candlepin Bowling on Saturday mornings. But uh, anyway, we digress. What's up? Star of the day. I don't know which microphone that is, Moniz. Try now. It would be this one. Okay. All right. I, you would think it would make sense for that to be number three yeah, you would. instead of number four. <laughs> yeah, star of the day, the community auditions, that's still on. I think it's on Sundays now, but uh, we had a local person here compete on that last year. All right. Well, anyway, yeah, morning, this is all stuff that we could talk about on Saturday mornings if you guys ever want to wake up early and come on by. We're here. You know, it's, it's a non-paranormal free zone, though. We talk about everything but. So uh, we'll be back with that show probably next Saturday. If not, I'll be sad. What was it? All the riders you had on your contract there? That's, they couldn't find the brown M Ms. The brandy glass for the brown. M&Ms. They couldn't find the brown M Ms. There's Bengal tigers running around the studio. There is. Hey, you know they fulfilled most of my requests. All right, let's get right back into the discussion with our guest tonight, Tyrone E. Keys Jr. He is the author of the new book Quantum Dawn. You can get that from his web website. Uh, you can either go to uh, realityneversleeps.com or tyronekeysjr.com. But realityneversleeps.com is the place to go to find out everything about the book and about the worlds and the multiverse that uh, that he has created. And, and Tyrone, we talked a little bit in the first hour about what it was like to have to create multiple universes pretty much from the ground up. But I'm sure that you've been influenced over the years. You mentioned some of the... Uh, some of the influences you had in terms of uh, the quantum physics side of things, but what were some of your influences in the sci-fi genre? Oh, uh, the the standards. I mean, you know, huge Star Trek fan. Um, I'm one of those. I'm one of those guys that you know prefer Star Trek to Star Wars. Although I thoroughly enjoy Star Wars, um, Buck Rogers. You know that back when that was on, that was great. Uh, the classic um, Battlestar Galactica and Stargate. I mean, all of those things uh, that you know were staples of sci-fi television, and then you know sci-fi books like uh, some, of, some of the Jules Verne stuff uh, is pretty is pretty awesome and and very prescient as well. Mm. It's amazing how you know accurate they were uh, the the earlier sci-fi writers in terms of technology that we later used to do things like uh, space travel. So. Uh, those are the kinds of uh, influences from, you know, sci-fi pop culture, if you will. And, you know, I was pretty much just like uh, most of the guys coming up uh, in my area at my age with comic books, you know, everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, some of the comic books, as you know, they explored some of these themes. Um, I think, um, you know, you had a lot of alternate universe uh, discussion in a lot of the Marvel books. Right. Before there was even, you know, quantum physics, they had exactly, these exactly. So yeah, I was thinking about these things at a at a very early age. And then if you look at, you know, we were all, I mean, we all of us were in the same place uh, on Saturday mornings when the Transformers came on. We were planted in front of a television, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, you talked about, oh, well, these are beings from another world, and they don't, you know, they're not quite like us. Uh, and so those kinds of things also got imagination going, you know, and I've just always been interested in uh, in those kinds of concepts. And that that was something that I dealt a lot with. I'm 35, so when I was growing up, you know, it was Transformers, Thundercats, you know, it was all these creatures that came from other planets. So to us, the idea of there being humanoid-type 
creatures on other planets and, and other planes of existence. That just came natural to us because all of our favorite toys and, and cartoon characters came from other planets and other dimensions. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we've taken, I think we're going to see a lot more of this too, is where, you know, uh, sci-fi is going to go uh, far beyond the, you know, space travel. I look at, and I've got a ritual on New Year's Eve. I watched the uh, Twilight Zone marathon mm-hmm. on sci-fi. And I've, I've seen all these episodes, you know, at least a dozen times, but they never get old. And if you look at some of the ones that involved, uh, you know, space travel, it was, you know, it was pretty, pretty cut and dry. But if you look at the series as a whole, you can look at that and say, hey, a lot of the stuff that happened could be chalked up to uh, different realities or, or, you know, people stumbling in. Maybe the Twilight Zone was a gateway into an entirely different set of realities. I, I definitely think so. I definitely think that planted a lot of the seeds in the mind of the future thinkers, uh, whether it be writers and, and creative people to scientists and, and NASA engineers and, and all these different people who have been influenced by that. But you, you mentioned how in the beginning part of the sci-fi genre, you know, it seems like more stuff has come true than uh, than what we've seen with some of the more uh, elaborate ideas here in the last 40, 50 years. And I've, I think part of that is because it was a lot easier back then to predict where technology and humanity would go uh, as opposed to where it is now. With these multiple universes, the door is wide open. Who knows what we'll have 50 years from now? Oh, absolutely. Who knows what we'll have you know, next year this time mm. uh, in terms of technology. And then uh, we're getting into an era of science and technology that's becoming kind of kind of scary if you think about uh, certain concepts uh, like time travel for example uh, do we really want you know I joke around with one of my one of my friends I say you know we were really uh, you know very rich guys and we were in the know and whatnot and somebody went back in a time machine and they changed all that for us so you know is is that the kind of thing that you know are we as humans are we responsible responsible enough to be able to deal with a lot of the technologies that we are, uh, you know, developing. And if you look at um, technologies like nuclear power, for example, here's the power of the atom. We've harnessed it. Uh, What do we use it for? Yeah, we've got some nuclear power plants that uh, create some electricity. But for the most part, we use it as uh, a weapon. Mm -hmm. And that's seems to be the direction we go with most of our technological advancements is that we either weaponize it or we uh, profitize it. And, you know, hey, I'm a capitalist. i, I got to eat, too. But, again, it just it, how do you get from that point to what we were talking about earlier in terms of getting to a Star Trek, the next generation type of society where we're doing larger things, you know? It all has to do with money. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, it has to do with, uh, you know, who can get the most toys. Well, when you're talking about nuclear stuff, uh, I work as an analytical chemist in the pharmaceutical industry, and I can tell you that some nuclear stuff is used in medicine. So it's not all, you know, doom and gloom with stuff. Uh, but the thing that I'm really waiting for is the flying cars. See, around here, if you, if you, if you drove around this area, and you saw some of the drivers that, you know, we got on our streets out here, you might not be so enthusiastic about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, w- one of the things uh, when, when 
looking at the idea of time travel, you know, you mentioned how people would kind of use that as a get rich quick idea. And maybe that's true. And maybe uh, I would think that human nature would kind of be to do that the easiest way, which would probably be to place a wager or invest in a stock or something. You know, I can't imagine most people would think to go back and, you know, kill their rivals so that they can be the one to make all the money. They'd probably find an easier way to do it. And maybe if we did that, maybe if we all became rich, then we could make money irrelevant. We could move closer to that, you know, Star Trek utopia uh, that we saw. You know, First Contact made the difference in, in that story. You know, when they finally realized there were beings on another planet, maybe some sort of technological breakthrough like that could serve the same purpose for us. Absolutely. Uh, and and hopefully we will get, you know, that opportunity. I think that, you know, again, when you talk about time travel, one of the things that I would like to see it used for if we ever develop such a technology is if we could go back and find out more about uh, our past, uh, go back and kind of delve into just from an observational standpoint strictly, you may Delving find that to, uh, difficult because time only flows forward. It's well, possible the, to flow. It's possible to time travel according to what's known physics and theory to travel forward in time, but almost impossible to travel backward. Right, right. According according to the physics, absolutely. Uh, and again, you know, I approach this just from uh, the imaginative standpoint, uh, not from the scientific method standpoint. Uh, although I do pay attention to a lot of the the experiments, like the double slit experiment I mentioned earlier, but um, just from a fanciful standpoint, you know that would be one productive way to use the technology. And then, you know, when you talk about going forward in time, uh, that really suggests that you will probably end up in what your station for the South Coast AM four in an alternate universe because. Uh, you know, who's to say that time would have unfolded in the way that it would when you reach your destination in the future? Yeah, I, I've never really. Uh, the the more I hear about time, <clears throat> excuse me, and the different theories on it, the more I start to wonder how much of it is really just it's our own abstract that we've placed on the natural process of the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, we have these revolutions around the sun. And we have all these physical signs that time passes, but really it only has meaning to us because of the course of our own lives. If it wasn't for the fact that we can see the birth, life, death process before our own eyes, I don't think we'd feel the need to put such a a temporal lock on ourselves and on our world. I agree. I I, I totally agree. It's just um, the measurement of time is definitely something that we've constructed to you know, get a better handle on our day-to-day existence. And uh, I, I think, though, but what you said is absolutely true. It's, uh, to, to, the uni- to the larger universe, I mean, time's pretty much not, not very relevant. Right. I mean, it, just look at your dog, your family dog, you know, laying there on, on the dog bed all day, and you think to yourself, gee, is that any way to spend a day? You're wasting the entire day away. But to a dog, they don't, there's no concept of that. Absolutely. So to them, they're just doing what feels good at the time. Right, right, right. So, and, and see, this is, this is the kind of uh, thing when you guys were you know, having uh, some of your discussions earlier before my segment and some of your earlier shows, you know, you focus on a lot of the paranormal. And those things that we find, you know, abstract right now, uh, I believe, you know, could very well be uh, instances, so to speak, where 
we have either consciously or subconsciously uh, begin to, to, to shift the laws of physics and, and bring uh, things more into the fore from, from other realities. So uh, there's a lot of science out there that says that, uh, you know, we don't know pretty much, we don't know exactly how the brain works in relation to uh, what we see as reality, but we do understand that there is some sort of link. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so maybe that link is a lot stronger than we think it is, and you know maybe a lot of the quote unquote unexplained is is explainable via via that. Well, one of the pet theories right now in paranormal investigation is that uh, the existence of ghosts is due to the idea of the multiverse. That what we're really seeing is just a glimpse into another reality, another dimension, another world, and that we're seeing whatever might be rubbing up against that place in that point in time. And that likewise, you know, we could appear as ghosts to an, another reality as well. I think, I think that's a very interesting theory. And that manipulation of our reality is something that we, you know, kind of explore uh, further in the second book in the series. But we, we touch on it just a little in Quantum Dawn. Uh, and again, a lot of the backstory that people can read... Uh, you know, for free, is at realitynebersleeps.com. Um, and they can go, of course, on Kindle and Amazon and all those places and uh, uh, iTunes to find the book, uh, Quantum Dawn. But uh, I, 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 I like putting a lot of the backstory out there and, and touching on these themes because, again, uh, I think that the more we think about these concepts, uh, I think the greater we get to understand that you know, we're larger than a lot of the things that are going on in the world today, and we can definitely surmount a lot of this, what is essentially small stuff, and, and get to a collective conscious that, that really handles the big questions that have been out there in humanity, you know, for a long, long time. So you feel that if everybody can kind of get on get on board with this idea, that it'll be kind of mind-altering enough that it'll change the way that we view our daily lives here on Earth? Well, yeah, I think that, and, and of course, I would love for people to turn out in droves and purchase Quantum Dawn, but uh, the concepts that you guys talk about on the show, uh, you know, the concepts in Quantum Dawn, to just start to explore some of these things uh, a bit more. And I know your audiences, you know, they do that without, without fail, but to break away from uh, what we've learned and what we've been kind of programmed into believing is, uh, the way the world works, and we can't question outside that box. Uh, I think that's what, what has us as a society as a whole, as, as a society of beings, in a situation where, you know, we're not, we're not living up to our full potential. So, yeah, I think we need to look at these concepts a bit more. And, uh, and maybe once we do that, maybe we will find out that time as we think about it is, is irrelevant to us. And that, you know, as the first law of thermodynamic states, you know, we're energy in terms of our the electrical impulses that make up our thoughts, and energy never can never be destroyed. So we, we live on. So what do we, since we know that, what are we going to do to, you know, better our overall existence? Well, I know one thing people can do to, to make things a little better is they can pick up Quantum Dawn. I agree. <laughs> and they can check it out. And, uh, of course, if you go to realityneversleeps.com and you can see all the links right there to get it, you can get it for the Kindle, you can get it for iTunes, for the Nook, for the Sony Reader, uh, pretty much any way that you can read uh, a book these days, 
uh, you can check out Quantum Dawn. And uh, do you have an estimated time of when the second book will be out? Well, uh, it's going to be later this year, but I would encourage everybody to, uh, in addition to you know, going to realityneversleeps.com, to also uh, like us on Facebook. It's Tyrone E. Keys Jr., the author page on Facebook, and we're putting out a lot of updates and directing you to where you can find more backstory. And we're, we're, we're also, what we're doing is we're directing you to places where you can, you know, just explore these concepts, not necessarily associated with anything I'm doing, but uh, just the ability to explore these concepts. And I'm going to put something up tonight uh, on the double slit experiment. So, you know, any of the list- listeners that are interested can, can get a look at that. All right, well, we thank you so much for joining us, Tyrone, and uh, definitely keep us up to date with the next version, of the, I'm sorry, the next volume of the series, and uh, we want to follow along in this journey with you throughout it. Hey, listen, I really appreciate you guys having me on. All right, have a great night. All right, you too. Bye-bye. That is Tyrone E. Keys Jr. He is the author of Quantum Dawn. Check it out. I just shared, uh, if you follow me on Facebook, I just shared the Facebook page for everybody that wants to check it out, and uh, you'll be able to see all the different updates of what goes on and follow along with the book as it uh, comes you know, to fruition, these future volumes and future ideas. Guys, I want to get your opinion a little bit here on the idea of the multiverse because it's something that, you know, as much as we've talked about it here on the show, we've, we've only really talked about it in passing. We've never really delved into it and dug deep into the concept of multiple universes as a scientific reality. Uh, we've only really put it into the perspective of how it relates to ghosts and paranormal investigation. Now, Moniz, you've been a scientist for a long time, and you've been privy to probably a lot more higher-end discussions in this field than we have been. And is is this something that's talked about frequently? You know, when you guys are sitting around the lunch table, are you kicking around the idea of quantum mechanics? Actually, yeah. We, we kick around ideas like this all the time. Um, now, a, a lot of it is also sociological question not just in terms of science and by that i mean a lot of people would be like i wonder what it would be like if i had made that decision what what would i see where would i be um sociologically that that that's a very interesting question now scientifically you're looking at how how the physics of it affects things you know it's abstract but when you're talking about your own personal stuff it's, you're dealing with emotions, and emotions aren't necessarily science, but they're still just as interesting and just as relatable to people. Now, Matt Costa, what, what's yeah. your idea? What's your thoughts on the idea of a multiple universe? I mean, I don't know. I've I've kind of often thought of uh, like, even on my way here, like, what if I've made a right turn instead of a left turn on my way to the studio? Mm-hmm. How that would have affected my life, and if that would have carried on throughout another universe well when you think about it i mean it would have repercussions i mean you'd be going the wrong direction you would either be late or you wouldn't come to the show and well that's the whole thing you lose the right and wrong because it's from the perspective Mm -hmm. you you get what i'm saying every every decision is still right or every decision is still wrong it was wrong to us for you to not come into the show but it was probably right for you to go doing whatever else that you did yeah but um, as it relates to the paranormal, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, it would explain a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but is it, it's, is it it's, almost it's too also, easy? It's also an easy note. Yeah. You know, um, to just brush it off as, oh, that's just another multiverse. Right. And, 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 and not have to do any 
Exactly. You don't really have to do any work. Just be like, oh, that's quantum physics. Right. It's just, we're just seeing, not that, you know, I, not that I'm scoffing at quantum physics, that it's not a science or anything, but you know what I mean? It's just kind of like an easy way out. Right. And, but I mean, a lot of paranormal investigation, unfortunately, is people finding the easy way out. That's why these things become <laughs> pet theories that become popular for a while and then fizzle out. But at least with the idea of quantum mechanics, it gives you the idea uh, and it gives you the uh, responsibility that although you can exist in multiple planes of existence and there can be every possible infinite possibility that happens. So even though I make this decision and if it turns out badly in another version of myself, I'm going to make the right decision. It'll turn out well, but I still own what happened in my version of that reality. So it doesn't really, you know, forgive you for what you do. Does that mean you don't own the other version? Well, no, I was still you. I would think that you don't. If, if, but it's still you. But if this is your consciousness that's tied into this plane, then you're only responsible for what your own consciousness uh, did. Now, if you can do some of these things like Tyrone writes about in the book and, and place your consciousness into these other versions of yourself, then yes, then those decisions would be on you. But if you're, you know, let's just use the term doppelganger, for example. You know, if your doppelganger goes out and commits a murder, well, then you're not responsible for that because you did not have the intent of committing that murder. And you were not the one that physically did. So it's just another version of you that did it. And that other version of you will either get away with it or face the consequences while you continue to live on your plane of existence on your own. See, it's kind of mind-blowing when you think yeah, about it. We're all just in the snow globe. Well, like Dave here <laughs> in the chat room says, you know, one of these uh, multiverses is where your missing left sock goes. Right. And so, somewhere there's a guy, a version of me that has two left feet, and he's got plenty of socks. Yep. <laughs> so, I, you know, I'll be honest, in this plane of existence, I don't know the difference between a left sock and a right sock. I don't is know. There, is there a difference? I don't think there is. No? I think Dave's, I know they have, Dave's buying those they fancy have, socks. They have socks with the L and R on them, but those are way out of my price range. Right. The ones that say Hanes on them are way out of my <laughs> price range. I buy the Irregulars. I still go to Cove Discount yeah. Center. <laughs> I wish they were still open. I used to get all my socks. I used to buy, uh, remember the uh, the underwear they used to sell like in the supermarket called bloopers? <laughs> oh. I used no. to buy those. They were like Irregulars. Oh, yeah. Like, there yeah. wouldn't be a hole in the front. And I was like, whatever. I'm a pull-down kind of guy anyway. So I would just buy those because you could get, like, three pairs for, like, two bucks. Yeah. So bloopers. <laughs> definitely the way to go. So now they, this they is why like... you've gone commando? Well, yeah. This is, these are the old days. These are the old days before I was au naturel. But, uh, yeah, bloopers. Check them out. So uh, <laughs> I want to get into this other discussion here. That's that's why I kind of cut things a little bit short with uh, with our guest Tyrone. And only because we had this, I don't want to say breaking news that happened this week, but it was a story that's been festering below the surface of the paranormal world for quite a while. And we really only just got into it uh, this week in the public eye. And I think Low Battery Dave in the chat room knows what I'm talking about because we've had some conversations about this uh, over the past couple of weeks. But let me take you all back to a few weeks ago, a few months ago now, when I first started writing my paranormal blog for WBSM.com. And one of the stories that came across the newswire, you know, I get Google News alerts about paranormal news, as I'm sure both of you do and many of our listeners do. One of the stories that popped up was yet another investigation of the Bridgewater Town Hall. 
And I wrote a blog post where I kind of said it's wrong to put in the media that you're going to be conducting this investigation. I have no problem with media coverage of an investigation after the fact. I don't like the idea of alerting the media ahead of time that an investigation is going to take place because the media can't help themselves. They want to tell the story of how, you know, ghost hunters are going to be going to the Middleborough Town Hall on Friday at 10 o'clock. And now everybody that wants to harass them, everybody that wants to uh, contaminate, trouble and, yeah. and, you know, or people can be like, hey, this might be a good night for us to go and break some windows in the town hall. And they're going to blame those paranormal investigators. This might be a good night for us to go rattle the chains and make them think that there's something really happening. So there's a lot of liability involved and there's a lot of possibility for contamination. So I'm not a fan of pre-investigation publicity. So that was what the purpose of my blog post was. And I criticized, unfairly, the town of Middleborough and the Middleborough Board of Selectmen for putting this information out there. Mm. Because the way the press release was worded that I read online, it said that it came from the Middleborough Town Hall. So my natural bit of logic was that it was the Middleborough Board of Selectmen that put this out. Because they were the ones that were authorizing this investigation and the press release was from the Middleborough Town Hall contacted the investigator, one Philip Brunel, and I asked him if, you know, he was involved in this pre-publicity for it. And he said, you know, he gave me the the feeling from his email back that uh, he was not on board with this pre-publicity and that he was very upset by it and that it made his investigation that much harder. Mm-hmm. He told me that he had to stand outside and talk to news crews for two hours and that that took away time from the investigation and things like that. So I took him at face value because I'd only had limited interactions with him before. Uh, I, we were Facebook friends. I knew him as being the host of Mass Most Haunted on YouTube. And uh, we had had brief discussions with him doing a Week and Weird segment on the show and something that would be carried over to Spooky TV last fall. I basically I, I take everybody at face value in the paranormal world and I, I don't really research their history unless something comes up that gives me cause to do so. Yeah. Right. So I got emails and phone calls and angry communications the following week from the Middleborough Board of Selectmen and other people that are close to that, that board. And they basically chastised me for, A, not calling the Middleborough Board of Selectmen and getting their side of the story, which I probably would have done being a journalist if I was writing a journalistic story. But this was a blog yeah, post. This is just a blog. This is just my own thoughts and feelings. So there's in a, in a blog, you don't have to be journalistically responsible. You know, it's can, yeah, it's can like, you be wrong? It, yes, but you can also just... It's almost like an opinion, opinion column. Exactly. You know? You're just giving your not thoughts and feelings. Or whatever. So, and that's what I did. So I, I put my feelings out on there, and, and that's what I explained to the Middleborough Board of Selectmen. Well, come to find out, the press release did not come from them. They were unaware that the press release said that it came from the Middleborough Town Hall. So I contacted Mr. Brunel, and I asked him to verify if indeed he was the one that contacted the media. Never heard back from him. Haven't heard back from him since. Sent him a couple emails since. Haven't heard back. So I'm just going to go with the thought in my own mind and yeah he probably was the one that did it and therefore he lied to me about not contacting him or i don't want to say he lied to me but he conveniently didn't tell me the truth you're right i was definitely misled to believe that he did so this interesting report comes up on 
CBS Boston this week. And I'm not sure the legality of me playing this uh, clip on the air. So uh, I will apologize ahead of time if I'm (laughs) breaking any rules or laws or anything. But this is for the purpose of informing the paranormal community is why I'm playing this. Because this is a disturbing story. And I don't feel that Mr. Brunel comes forward with the answers. So while I would be happy to give him equal time to come on the program and share his own point of view, I haven't heard back from him. So uh, again, so while we'll play this here and uh, we'll, we'll take a listen to it. And I'm sure some of it's visual, but we'll, we'll take a listen to it. On WBZ, it's about a man as mysterious as the ghosts he hunts. Yep, he's a ghost hunter, but what we've uncovered about his past is troubling. Jim Armstrong joins us now with a story of who this man really Unfortunately, is. Unfortunately, Philip this. Brunel goes out of his way often to let us know what he's up to, sending emails, for example, with offers to be interviewed on a number of different stories. I'm a paranormal investigator. Meet Philip Brunel again. This would be the 33-year-old has quite a knack for getting himself on TV. These days, he's hunting ghosts. Late one night this March, he and his we lost the we lost it there. Uh, I feel bad. I, I really want it to work. Now to a story you will see only on WBZ. It's about a man. Now yeah, we'll just have to go without it. Basically, the gist of this story is I'll, I'll actually there's there's text to go with this story. So if Philip Bruno looks familiar, it's for good reason. The 33 year old has a knack for getting himself on TV. These days he's hunting ghosts. He says his current job title is paranormal investigator. In late March of this year, WBZ followed Brunel and his three-person crew through an empty Middleborough town hall. They had their run of the place all night long with the blessing of the Board of Selectmen. Middleborough officials have gotten similar requests in the past. Alan Frawley, the co-chair of the town's Board of Selectmen, says they are routinely grant such requests out of fairness, which Frawley told me directly. Frawley acted as tour guide for some of this ghost hunt, but later allowed the team to explore as they saw fit while he stayed in the building, but was working in an office. Brunel tells WBZ he now wants to look for ghosts in other public buildings like the town halls in East Bridgewater, Massachusetts, and Epping, New Hampshire. He also tried to get into the public library in Middleborough, but they rejected his request. In the weeks since WBZ followed Brunel in Middleborough, we've learned a lot from his unusual past. Brunel himself admits to local officials who lack who learn about his background uh, would be justified in being skeptical about him, especially when it comes to giving him overnight and near unsupervised access to public buildings. They would be justified, yeah, in my opinion, he says. It's hard to know where to begin telling Brunel's story. A good place would be in the late 1990s when a teenage Brunel, whose last name was then Daggett, appears on episodes of The Jerry Springer Show. He presents himself as a man caught in the middle of a sometimes violent love triangle. In the years since, Brunel has been connected to some of the biggest stories in Massachusetts, if you believe him. Perhaps the most notorious news event to which he is connected happened in February of 2006. That's when Puzzles Lounge in New Bedford was attacked by a hatchet and gun-wielding madman. At the time, Brunel was Puzzle's bartender. He says he saved patrons' lives by rushing them to safety. He spoke to the media often in the days and weeks that followed. But Brunel may be equally recognized as the follower of a man who publicly claimed to have won $1,000 and then a million dollars on two scratch tickets in one day. That was in July of 2009. In another tragic case in November of 2004, Brunel was driving on Route 24 in Freetown when he came upon a terrible accident in which two little girls were killed. Brunel was on the scene moments after the crash and later claimed to have pulled an infant out of that wreck. There have been a few instances when I have been in the media for things, he says. Often the media finds out about Brunel's involvement in these stories because of emails he sends them in which he alerts the media to the incident. 
WBZ found some of those emails in their archives from over the years. There was one such email, for example, from January 2008, in which Brunel says he saved a Brockton baby who was choking on a light bulb at an intersection in that city. I don't even want to get into how that happened. Right. Baby Uncle Fester. In another email, Brunel wanted to let us know about a Fall River Taco Bell restaurant that he thought might have put cocaine in his soft shell taco. Did that ring a bell? You guys remember hearing that story? Mm-hmm. At the end of that email, he shares his contact info and offers to be interviewed. The Taco Bell claim was similar to a 2004 incident in which Brunel complained to a Fall River McDonald's restaurant that they made him sick by putting pickles on his burger, even though he's allergic and had requested that they not be included. Brunel also went public in August 2007 when he filed charges against Route 44 Toyota in Raynham. After working at the car dealership for a short time, Brunel went to the Massachusetts Commission Against Discrimination and alleged that his co-workers sexually harassed him. Brunel withdrew that case when he got a settlement from the dealership. State investigators tell WBZ they were never able to reach a conclusion. With the McDonald's problem, he says the restaurant only paid his medical bills. Taco Bell, though, thought Brunel's story was sketchy, and according to reports published at the time, the company threatened to sue him if, he, if it turned out his claims were unsubstantiated. Fall River Police said Brunel stopped cooperating with their investigation into the Taco Bell matter. WBC asked Brunel how he would react to claims that he's a fraud or a con artist, and I wish I could play the audio of this here. His response was, quote, I've never once been charged with a criminal offense that has to do with fraud. That's true, unless you count his arrest for impersonating a police officer. In March of 2012, Brockton police say they arrested him for trying to pull over people in his personal vehicle, which happens to be a decommissioned state police cruiser he bought at an auction, which, as the reporter points out in the piece, pretty interesting car for a millionaire to own. Brunel's name also shows up in the Brockton police logs in connection with a September 2008 incident. He was charged with making a false police report. At the time, someone pretending to be an off-duty police officer called 911 to report that a man had been shot dead near Reservoir Street. According to police reports, the state police tracked that call to Brunel's cell phone at the time he lived on Reservoir Street. In both the above cases, Brockton District Court documents show that a mental health evaluation and treatment was suggested, quote, as required. Uh, So, uh, I mean... I could get really deeper into this. Uh, he works as a he spent some time working as a local wedding photographer, and uh, he had some complaints brought to him that he charged the money and didn't deliver the photos. Uh, and then I'm trying to see just what else here. You know, there's a scratch ticket story, and this is, this is quite quite the uh, manifesto. This, right but this is the worst part about it. You know, I was willing to let the guy. I was willing to give him a pass on a lot of this stuff. Uh, and you got to be careful though, because when you're dealing with a known fraud who, and let's face it, he's a known fraud. When you're dealing with somebody who is in the paranormal community that you know has committed fraud elsewhere, then how can you not be sure that he isn't committing fraud within the paranormal community? But this part is what bothers me the most. Remember the story about the car crash with the two little girls that he claimed to pull an infant out? Well, according to the aunt of the two girls who perished in the crash, Brunel was on the scene after the fact, never pulled the baby out of the car accident, but did take photos and then later sent one of those photos to the family in which he claimed to have captured the ghosts of the little girls who were murdered by photoshopping a ghost into the picture. So not only are you a fraud, but you are a despicable piece of crap human being. And from what I understand, you know, people fear going public against this guy. They fear putting it out there, and they fear the retaliation that will happen from him. Like, why? Bring it on. <laughs> because really, to What's have he... somebody operating like this in the field is ridiculous. 
And I'd love to hear your thoughts and your opinions on this. 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420. You know, we talk about how sometimes there's paranormal watchdogs in the community that go a little bit too far. Uh, sometimes, you know, they, they discredit groups for not being as intelligent, say, as some of the rest of us and, and, and not being as literate as some of the rest of us. And, you know, I do understand that if you want to be out there and put yourself out there, you have to represent yourself in the best way possible. So, yeah, spelling mistakes on your website is a problem that's easily correctable. But, you know, spelling problems on your website is like way down here. And photoshopping ghosts into pictures and sending it to a mother whose kids died in a car accident is like way up here. Yeah. And that that's just the way that I see it. I mean, people can call and tell me, you know, all they want. You know, nothing's been proven. He's never been convicted of this. Uh, but as far as I'm concerned, and, and again, we are only hearing one side of the story here because they found this stuff out afterwards. They contacted WBZ, found all this stuff out after the interview, yeah. contacted Brunel and gave him a chance to respond. And surprise, surprise, he didn't get back in touch with them. I was going to say Charlie Manson's sitting in jail and he technically didn't kill anybody. Right. I, I mean, yeah, this guy hasn't been convicted or even charged really, quote unquote, of fraud, but doesn't mean it's still not the case. Well, I don't know. There's kind of a big list of... That's a long track record. <laughs> it is. It is. Definitely. I don't know. He either has, like, the best luck in the world or the worst. Or I don't know. I don't know what kind of... And if you look at, like, his Facebook page, you know, he's got pictures of himself posing with celebrities and, you know, and things like that. And, and uh, as far as I'm concerned, stinks. yeah, his credibility <laughs> in my eyes uh, fell apart completely when, you know, he basically implied to me that he does not contact people uh, with, you know, press releases about his investigations. Well, WBZ confirmed that he did. Yeah. You know, so it, I'm just putting this out there. Uh, Philip, Dag uh, Philip Daggett is what he's also known as. Philip Brunel is his name now. And I, I don't want to get into to why because, you know, he, he's entitled to his own personal life. That has nothing to do with that's not here or there. But, uh, well, Daggett was his pre-married name so he's known by both names and he also operates the youtube channel mass most haunted and that's the group that he goes by when he is out there investigating so i would never intentionally want to stop anybody from being able to investigate the paranormal but let's just say we need to put a freeze on this guy's future activities as best we can until he comes clean yeah definitely and and explains himself on some of these things you know, I don't think that that's too much to ask. If you want to continue in this field and continue to allow people to grant you that kind of access, which is WBZ points out in, in the video piece, if you've seen it, he's alone in the town hall. He's yeah. got access to records, people's personal information, people's date of birth, their social security numbers. You know, he's getting this kind of access. And if he's a known con man and you're giving him this type of, you know, free reign over people's personal information... And the yeah. other side of the coin is, is he going to now ruin it for the rest of us? Which is a question that I pointedly asked Selectman Frawley, you know, because of what happened with this case, are you no longer going to allow investigators in? And thankfully, he is not tagging the entire paranormal community based on one bad experience. I, I, I'm i just appalled that it, it went on this long. And why, why wasn't this brought up earlier? And, and, and unfortunately, it was. There's been 
quite a file going around on him on the internet for the last few years that just hasn't made it to the mainstream media. Thank God somebody, yeah. you know, whoever it was, alerted the media <laughs> about this and told them what was going on. You know, or or maybe the reporter decided to finally do a little bit of digging and say, you know, why does this name sound familiar to me? I do remember hearing about like a lot of these right. things that he was involved in. I remember and hearing. It's, it's I remember hearing the Taco Bell cocaine yeah. story. I remember the puzzles thing. Yep. Well, and of course, I think I remember seeing puzzles here. <laughs> I remember. I think I remember seeing him on the news. I was talking about it. Kind of blows my mind. Now here's a question: That accident, somebody asked, you know. Could he have possibly caused it to insert himself into a situation? I wouldn't go that far. Well, you never know, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah, but I mean, that's, like, I, I don't know. We if can't I can really, we can't, I guess we can't really that's say speculation. that. Unfortunately, too, you can pretty much drive on Route 24 every day and eventually you're going to encounter an accident because it's uh, yeah, just a horrible stretch of road. Yeah, I did two weeks ago. <laughs> just a bad stretch. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, there's, and I don't want to get into the, the to the theories that people have against him. Um, because I think that that's unfair without having him here to defend himself. Uh, and really, all I'm doing here is I'm just citing this report. I'm not trying to commit a personal attack. No. I'm just saying if the facts in this story are true, which his non-response would indicate to me that they probably are. Uh, no, what you're doing is you're showing that there are uh, giant gaps in our field to protect other people and institutions against... But now how do we fix that? Let, let's just put exactly. Philip Brunel off into a corner and say, you know, here is more, a worst-case scenario. There are plenty more just like him out there. Uh, well, there are plenty. I wouldn't not, say that. Just like he, him. I mean, this is pretty extreme. But but you get the point. Right. Yeah. There, there's plenty of people that you shouldn't be trusting to be left alone. And there has been a lot made out of paranormal investigators' previous criminal activity. And we've seen it happen in some of these, you know, paradrama situations that we've covered here on the show where people will use someone's past to attack them, you know. And I, I don't think that you have to go that far necessarily. If it relates to what could be happening as a result of their work as an investigator, then, yeah, bring it forward. Right. You know, it, but it, if you got arrested for, you know, uh, drinking and driving, what does that have to do with investigating a house? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, unless they're still a, a drinker and that's a problem. No, but I'm talking from something 10, 15 right. years ago. I mean, ago, if you right. got into a bar fight with Matt Costa one day, you know, that shouldn't have anything to do with your ability to be an investigator. But if you've been arrested numerous times for possession of narcotics, I probably don't want you in my house. If you've been arrested numerous times for theft or breaking and entering, I don't want you to know where I live and I don't want you to know where all the unsecured any, entranceways are. Any sexual assault. Oh, absolutely. Of any form or physical physical assaults or and i think fraud would come under the umbrella i think that fraud you know if somebody commits you know fraud by check or identity theft or any of these kind of things that should be something that should be provided so here here's here's a thought should paranormal investigators then be required to include their own personal histories like a a quarry a, a, a quarry or paranormal investigator license well, licensing like a, like a fishing license. I, like licensing a, is something that I've actually pr- proposed for years yeah. because it's a gener, gener, uh, revenue generator. Mm-hmm. So therefore, you know, paranormal investigators have to pay thirty-five bucks a year what to have their license. What you're talking about is a regulating body of something that form. would essentially just at least have a database, right. so that we would know and we would be able to cross-reference. You know, you mm-hmm. own a gun, and you have to be in a database for owning a gun. 
Correct. You drive a motorcycle. You have to have that endorsement and therefore be in, in a database for driving that motorcycle. Yeah. Driving a motorcycle is your hobby. It's one of your hobbies. I'm just using that as an example. You know, shooting is your hobby. Yeah. So these are hobbies that you are required to be licensed for, pay for, and be entered into a database for. So why should paranormal investigation be any different? And really, how, how big of a deal would it be? I know it's small potatoes in the world outside of the paranormal to be a paranormal investigator, but how much harder would it be to just have somebody register as such? This is why I said we need something like a MUFON in the paranormal world. We've got all of these individuals. I'm taking this out of the hands of the people, though. I'm not talking about MUFON. I'm talking about government regulation of it. And by regulation, I just mean... You know, a background check, a criminal history, and some sort of piece of paper signed by a governing body that sort allows you to like, do so. Sort of like fortune tellers have to have a certain license from states to open their businesses. Or a fisherman. Yeah. You know, if even if you want to just go fishing off the Wee Antic Bridge at 2 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday, you still have to have a license. You know, so that's what I'm looking for. And and I'm not looking, I'm not looking to increase the workload for, you know, law enforcement. To have to make them go to all these investigations and check and make sure that everybody has licenses. Mm-hmm. But don't they really just show up anyway? Aren't they usually yeah, checking us out anyway when we're out investigating and they see flashlights moving around in a dark house? Well, do you think, uh, I mean, in this day and age, do you think well, you, it's it's the responsibility for the homeowner or them to Google whoever? Well, it is. It definitely is. But I think a lot of them are somewhat overwhelmed by what's going on. And it's really, is, is it fair if somebody is experiencing, um, uh, I don't want to say a terrifying level of paranormal activity, but if they're disconcerted by what's going on in their home, I, I'm thinking that the, what they want to do is they want to get the first group in that can come in. And they're not necessarily worried about weeding out you know, the personalities of who's coming in. You know, they just contact the groups and whoever comes back in touch with them first and doesn't charge anything, that's who they're going to let come into their house. Uh, And and they're not informed enough to know that there would be people that would be out there causing these problems. Well, Dave brought up a good point. Wouldn't uh, getting bonded be a a bad idea? You know, something like that works. Whatever it can be that puts a safeguard in place. Uh, and, And again, but we're looking at, too, with Brunel, we're dealing with somebody who might not have the criminal record for the things that are leading up to him. But it's something that's easily Google Googleable to make a word. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's something you can easily enter into a search engine and find out for yourself. It, would, uh, it, it, would, it wouldn't be that hard, especially if you have a group where there's multiple people who could share the, the fee that would be involved. I right. And, and why can't, by the way, why, and I'm sure this happens, and I know that it happens in some groups, but why can't it happen in every group? You, every group has to have the founder, the lead investigator, the person who wears the different colored shirt or has, you know, whatever. The, the, the guy yeah, who, the longer goatee. Yeah, you know, the guy, the guy who takes the uh, thermal camera home. Whoever that guy might be in your group or, or woman, you know, whoever that person might be, it should be their job to get these criminal background checks on their investigators. And as I said, some groups do it, but a lot yeah. of groups don't. You know, a lot of groups are just happy to have somebody that wants to join up and be part of it and take on some of the workload and make things easier for everybody. But there has to be that responsibility. If there's people like this out there, then there has to be another layer of safeguard because the only other option is that we're all going to be considered just like this guy. Yeah. I don't know. 
I just I, I would feel better about it if we could have him on and I will extend another invitation for him to come on and tell his side of the story because I don't want to unjustly tear somebody apart. But if he is doing these things, if it is true that he photoshopped a ghost into a picture of a crash scene and sent that to the victim's mother, then that's just a despicable human being. And I would say that whether he's a paranormal investigator or not, that has nothing to do with it. That's just a deplorable act to do if that's what he did. I almost would say if he thought that he saw a ghost in the photo and didn't Photoshop it, but it's just something that he is thinking is one, you shouldn't have sent that unsolicited to the family. Right. You know, that's, it just shouldn't be done. So I, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll continue to try and get in touch with him and allow him to come on and tell his side of the story. I got a feeling that he won't want to, but the invitation is out there because I want to present all sides to this before we make judgment about whether or not you know he should be right allowed to continue in the field not that it's our call Who to make to but judge though we're not judging if we're allowing him if he comes on and you know dispels some of this we're not judging he's just defending himself okay. and if he doesn't want to do that and doesn't want to defend himself and these questions still exist out there well then my personal stance is that the existence of those questions should cause the community to rally right. around excluding him gotcha so, again, I'm, I'm not trying to destroy somebody's ability to make their way in this field. But if you can't answer these questions, we can't allow you to continue. I think and, that's fair. And I say we as the community. Yeah. Which I know I often exclude ourselves from the paranormal community. But, <laughs> you know, because we're like, we don't want to be part of all this stuff. But this is something that we all need to be part of. If we all have a vested interest in being able to continue to do what it is that we do, then we have a responsibility to keep people like this in check. And I say in check because, like I said, at least come forward and address these questions. So, Philip, if you're listening, and I know that you do, you know, feel free to get in touch with me, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com. I will send out another email, and I will try to give you the opportunity to, to come on and tell your side of the story. But I think he probably knows, if he does listen to the show, he's not going to just come on and, and give the same little clips, little sound bites that he gave in this interview. And I almost want to say shame on the reporter as great of a job as he did. And maybe he did dig and it just didn't make it into the final edit, but there were more questions to be asked. There were follow-ups that needed to be asked. He needed to be kind of put over the coals for some of these accusations because this stuff is heinous. Agree. And if he, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, but if he comes on the show, that's something that he's got to be, ready and willing to deal with because we're not just going to accept, you know, roundabout I mean, you, glossing you over would, answers. You initially did have contact with them, right? Oh, yeah. And then nothing? And then nothing. nothing at all? So we'll see know. where it goes from there. And I'm sure he'll hear about it. I'm sure if he doesn't listen to this show, you know, there, as, as Dave said in the chat room, there are people who uh, do defend him and defend his side of things. So I'm sure some of them are listening and they'll want to tell him, hey, great, you know, tell him, let him know, invite him on. Give him the phone number. Right. Because this is really the only way that you're going to be able to save your name in the paranormal. And if you are innocent of what you're being accused of, why wouldn't you want to do that? So we soapboxed a little there, but it was something that had to be done, had to be addressed. And we welcome your thoughts and opinions on it throughout the course of the week. You can email us spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com. We will be back next Saturday night for another exciting 
adventure into the world of the paranormal. And remember, you can stay up to date with us all week long on Twitter, at SpookySC, on Facebook, facebook.com slash SpookySouthCoast, and, of course, on the website, SpookySouthCoast.com. So until next week, for Matt, Matt, Chris, I am Tim. Stay spooktacular.